Over the course of its long and varied history, WWE has gone from strength to strength, becoming richer and richer to becoming the most recognisable and influential sports entertainment business on earth. Vince McMahon's national expansion in the mid-80s saw him take over American wrestling from coast to coast, and since then, the product has grown to the furthest reaches of the globe, turning its wrestlers into genuine international superstars. The business has changed and evolved over the years, and some events were instrumental in bringing about those changes. In this video, we'll take a look at 10 events that changed the course of WWE history and shaped it into what we see today. Hulk Hogan originally worked for Vince McMahon's dad, Vince McMahon Sr., as a heel before deciding to take time out from wrestling to star in Rocky III. Vince Sr. was angered by the decision and told Hogan that he'd never work for his company again if he was to take the movie role. A few years down the line, Hogan returned to the company, now with the younger McMahon running the business. Unlike his dad, McMahon recognised the massive upside that Hogan presented with his huge physique and his overflowing charisma, and he knew that Hogan would make for the perfect superhero to appeal to his fans. Two years after appearing as Thunderlips in Rocky III, Hogan wrestled then-world champion the Iron Sheik. Hogan managed to escape the camel clutch during the match before beating the Sheik for the World Heavyweight Championship. The fans in New York erupted and McMahon immediately knew that he'd made the right decision in choosing Hogan to lead the company into the future. Hogan really was a superhero come to life for wrestling fans in the 80s and love him or hate him now, his influence on the business for the following decades is clear to see. The very first WrestleMania in 1985 was a huge gamble for Vince McMahon and the original show could have put the company out of business. At the time, the National Wrestling Alliance was presenting Starcade each and every year and the event was long held as the most prestigious card in wrestling. But McMahon wanted to surpass that and wanted to present a show that mixed sports entertainment with pop culture. The very first WrestleMania blurred the lines between wrestling and mainstream entertainment in ways that had never been seen before, with MTV airing special events in the lead-up to the show and Cindy Lauper playing a big role on the show too. McMahon wanted as many casual viewers as possible to sample his product and the more crossover appeal he could get, the better. Hulkamania was already running wild in WWE and with lots of new eyes on the product, here was a perfect opportunity for Hogan to become a household name too, as he teamed up with worldwide megastar Mr. T. WrestleMania was a huge gamble for McMahon, but nearly 40 years later, and it's clear that it paid off. The excesses of the 1980s would catch up to WWE eventually. In 1991, the company's former medic, Dr. Zahorian, had been convicted of supplying anabolic steroids to his patients. Unsurprisingly, the spotlight then turned to WWE's roster of superhuman specimens. After an investigation, McMahon was charged on two counts, one of distributing 
and another of conspiring to distribute steroids. McMahon was staring down the barrel of spending 10 years behind bars and plans were already being put in place for Jerry Jarrett to run the wrestling business in case of his incarceration. Seven wrestlers, including Hulk Hogan, were called to testify against McMahon, but incredibly, he was acquitted. After the trial, McMahon was forced to pay attention to the wrestlers he was employing going forwards. And if it wasn't for the steroid scandal, we might not have got smaller men like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart getting their pushes in the mid-90s. In 1993, McMahon decided to break ground with a new type of weekly television show. The format might seem familiar now, a show in front of a live crowd with competitive matches and angles, advancing storylines, sometimes live, but at the time, it was a brand new concept. The look that WWE created for the early episodes of Monday Night Raw was unique too. It was a small, intimate venue filled with excitable fans. By comparison, WCW was starting to pick up steam thanks to its visionary leader, Eric Bischoff, and during a meeting with WCW owner Ted Turner, he was given a primetime slot on Monday nights, airing directly opposite to WWE Raw. WCW Monday Nitro was born, and eventually they would accelerate ahead of WWE in terms of ratings and quality, leaving Vince McMahon's program in the dust. WCW's superior presentation would eventually force them to make their product better and compete with WCW every Monday night. One of the main reasons that WCW managed to get ahead of WWE in the Monday Night Ratings was the presentation of the New World Order. The NWO were initially promoted as a group of invaders from WWE as Kevin Nash and Scott Hall showed up on WCW TV hell-bent on destroying the company. They were later joined by Hulk Hogan, who had turned into a bad guy for the first time in his career in a move that shocked the entire wrestling world and it totally reinvigorated his character. The NWO were the coolest concept wrestling had seen for years, and even though they were technically bad guys, everyone wanted to be a part of the gang, and the fans watching at home and in the arenas absolutely loved them. The NWO was the turning point for WCW, and allowed them to become the number one wrestling promotion in the world for a while, and they literally threatened WWE's existence. For years later, many wrestling factions would be modelled around the concept of the original NWO. Bret Hart had done his best to carry WWE throughout the darkest days of the Monday Night War. Now, WCW was knocking on his door with a massive multi-million dollar contract. All that Hart needed to do was sign the contract and jump ship. For Vince McMahon, he couldn't realistically get near the mega offer being made by Eric Bischoff, and so he told Bret Hart to take the offer by WCW. He knew that Hart would never be able to make that much money ever again in his career. Hart reluctantly agreed, money talks after all. But from Vince McMahon's perspective, there was still a huge problem. Hart was the WWE champion, and he wasn't keen on dropping the belt to Shawn Michaels, 
especially not in front of his hometown crowd in Montreal. When he spoke to McMahon before the show, they agreed that the match could end in a brawl with no actual finish and Hart could vacate the belt the following night on Monday Night Raw. McMahon, however, was feeling quite paranoid around this time and he was concerned that Hart would show up on WCW television with his world championship. And so a plan was hatched behind Hart's back that when Michaels locked in the sharpshooter submission hold during their match, McMahon would call for the bell as if Hart had tapped out, even though he hadn't. The Montreal screw job would be a betrayal that Bret Hart would never truly mentally be able to recover from, and one of the triggers that ironically turned WWE's fortunes around as the Mr. McMahon character was born and the company entered the Attitude Era. Steve Austin won the King of the Ring in 1996 after beating Jake the Snake Roberts, and then he unleashed a tirade down the camera that would go down as one of wrestling's greatest ever promos. And while the landscape of wrestling didn't immediately change on that night, it became evident that Austin was worth so much more than the stock that WWE were putting in him at the time. There was something very special about him, and that needed to be explored further, it was clear. The Austin 316 speech was the dawn of Stone Cold's era of dominance. Once he was allowed to run with the ball, Austin would become one of wrestling's most popular superstars of all time, and one of the major components that allowed WWE to come back from the brink of destruction. By 2001, WWE were more profitable than ever. Having become a publicly traded company in October 1999, it really was an incredible 180 degree turnaround in the space of a couple of years. WCW, on the other hand, was in tatters with bad creative decision after bad creative decision alienating the fan base. The company was a shadow of its former self and it seemed difficult for fans of WCW to see how it could ever be turned around. The new parent company for WCW, AOL Time Warner, didn't want wrestling and the value of WCW plummeted without any television time. So Vince McMahon stepped in and purchased his arch rivals for just $4.2 million. Looking at the 20 plus years that have followed, WWE has been far worse off creatively without the spirit of direct competition. Eddie Guerrero died on the 13th of November 2005 at just 38 years of age. Even now, decades later, fans still mourn his passing and he's hugely missed. He was one of the most charismatic and talented performers to have ever graced the wrestling ring. Guerrero's death shone a light on the wrestling industry after years of not taking the substance abuse issues that plagued the business seriously it was time for WWE to review how the business was being practiced. The wrestling business had developed a reputation for its performers dying far younger than in any other form of sports or entertainment, with dozens of young men dropping dead years before their time. Eddie Guerrero died of acute heart failure. His heart had become enlarged with speculation that it was caused by steroid abuse. In the years after the tragedy, WWE implemented their own drugs testing regime and so far the death rate amongst wrestlers seems to have slowed down. 
After an autopsy, Chris Benoit's brain was said to resemble the brain of an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient. Benoit's exact reasoning for murdering his wife and child before committing suicide was not clear. Some put it down to so-called roid rage and others would contend that acute brain damage was almost certainly the cause. Benoit had made a career out of performing brutal flying headbutts from the top rope and receiving unprotected chair shots to his head. He must have bounced his skull squarely into the ring from the top rope thousands of times through his career. The wrestling industry is mostly left alone by outside influences to be a law unto itself, usually because external regulating bodies don't really understand it or just see it as theatre. And so it came to WWE to ban direct chair shots to the head and other moves that could cause concussion. It's a shame that it took for lives to be lost before changes were made to WWE's rules.